My fabulous guest today is a journalist, editor, entrepreneur, and a podcaster. DVL Padmapriya is an independent journalist who has written for leading media houses such as The Hindu, Wire, India Spend. She has also worked as an advocacy and communication specialist for the Nobel Peace Prize winning organization Doctors Without Borders, also known as Medicine Sans Frontiers. She is the co-founder and editorial lead at Suno India, India's first podcast only on media startup. She has hosted multiple podcasts on underreported stories such as Dear Pari on Adoption, The Suno India Show on Current Affairs and Pinjara Torkar on Women Empowerment to name a few. Her work has been featured on various media platforms and publication houses. Her efforts towards spreading awareness about long covid is amazing to say the least. She recently bagged She the People Digital Women Awards 2021 presented by Google and empowered by Colors TV. She was also honored with the Express Awards for Women Entrepreneurs by the Financial Express and FICCI FLO. Welcome to the show Padma Priya. It's so amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much Surya for having me here. Um I've started listening to your show and I I must say I really enjoy listening to the interviews and the kind of people you're getting on it. Thank you so much and you know I have to even tell you this there was so much more that could have added to your introduction but then I thought the introduction itself is span you know multiple minutes so I had to really really you know put an effort on picking and choosing what I would tell. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Sure. So I want to first begin by asking the most fundamental thing here right because you've been part of so many high profile media houses so what was it that drove your interest towards journalism to start with uh so i think the interest towards journalism um to a large extent was driven by um my grandfather mm-hmm. uh, d sitaram who was a journalist himself um and you know he would have all these amazing stories that he would regale us with growing up mm-hmm. um of you know meeting different kinds of people covering different kinds of uh, events in history and time and that just sort of got me interested in it and uh, you know growing up uh, uh, the one thing that i was pretty good at was uh, fairly good at was writing and uh, I did want to become a doctor though the secret is that I did want to become a doctor and I tried to become a doctor okay but journalism was my backup plan um so I was like okay if, if this medicine thing doesn't work out I'm just going to go towards journalism um though I did try a last uh, you know it was almost like a last ditch effort to uh-huh. stay within the medical sort of a thing and I thought okay let me if I do, I didn't get through the MBBS so then I was um uh-huh. uh you know I and my mom were going to the Nizam Medical College to apply for physiotherapy course mm-hmm. and uh, my mom managed to convince me in that 45 minute bus ride why I should be applying <laughs> for um ba mass communication and journalism and not really do this physiotherapy okay um and the rest is history so you know um and that's pretty much how i i landed up in journalism um i think just being surrounded um you know and I, i've always been a very curious kind of a child i had always would ask questions mm-hmm. i love talking to people i love knowing their stories so right. it just felt like a more natural fit i think and i think i should be thankful to my uh, mom for uh, doing that 45 minute bus ride brainwashing for me absolutely um, and, <laughs> and pushing me towards uh, journalism because you know it just it just came very naturally to me i think yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and at least me i i don't think i can imagine you any other way right now because of the 
kind of work that you have put out there and you continue to do uh i i think we would have lost like a brilliant journalist like if you had gone the other way around you probably would have been a great doctor yeah. but then you know <laughs> i'm a great patient that's what i tell doctors oh okay <laughs> yeah so the other thing is you know how different like was it you know working at media houses such as the hindu or the wire versus you know the nobel peace prize winning organization doctors without borders so i ask you this because you know especially at msf you know there is this huge amount of devastation that one sees and the trauma that yeah. you see around you and it sort of affects you as well right because you're reporting such kind of stories so what was that experience like for you yeah i think um, when i started off with uh, the hindu um, i was a city reporter mm-hmm. and i had a wide range of topics that i could write on yeah and that was that was a uh, very good learning i think those two years were a solid solid mm-hmm. foundation for me mm-hmm. where uh, you know you have to do the daily crunch of uh, you know churning out stories yeah. um you know meaningful stories some not so great stories some mm-hmm. just going and covering events meeting different kinds of people so i think in the first one year you don't really have a choice or a beat as they call it okay you you basically cover everything under the sky hmm. um and it was it was pretty hectic um you know uh, journalism in itself can get pretty hectic especially if you're in a daily mm-hmm. uh, newspaper or in a daily te- te- television especially 24 by 7 news channel or something like that yeah. it can get very hectic so you know we would be um, i would be working somewhere like 14 hours 15 hours um and you know depending on the situation it would sometimes go up and okay um yeah i think uh, and and i i later switched to sort of freelancing a lot and that's how like i freelance for the wire mm-hmm. first post india spend and, and others yeah. um and with freelancing i had my freedom and my space to do stories at my pace because yeah in a, as a city reporter you can only even though you might want to write 600 words there might be space only for 300 words right. so you know in you have to actually edit out a lot in your head when you start writing it mm-hmm. um whereas when you start as a freelancer and with digital media outlets you have that also some sort of a you know you don't really have that sort of a space constraint though they, they do tell you like keep it under 1000 words right so but there's a lot um, more freedom per se right there's a lot, there's more, lot f- more freedom you mm-hmm. can correct and also you can go deeper you can tell stories in a more descriptive manner yeah. you can um, you know uh, you have more freedom in that sense so right. i think it was very different mm-hmm. but i think um, from a reporting point of view i think my first sort of face to face with um, something close to devastation was the karnool floods that happened sometime around 2009 or 10 okay. i don't remember right now mm-hmm. but uh, in uh, uh, in the then united andhra pradesh karnool was hit with this massive floods the river sort of um, you know um, the river overflowed and so i wanted to go and cover that okay. and i i traveled and i went to karnool and i did three three four stories from the gender perspective you know okay. uh, women and children perspective mm-hmm. and uh, i think that was for my first sort of face to face with uh, how you know a natural disaster can leave people traumatized and you know um, and how people are also resilient right you pick right. up the pieces clean your houses and you have to get back to work because you cannot survive otherwise yeah and this is um, when you were with doctors without borders right this this incident no this is when i was with the with the hindu this okay. is when i was with the hindu sure mm-hmm. yeah and and then and then i think um, there were a couple other instances where i did cover you know something like tragedies like when the chief minister died um, yeah. you know all of us mm-hmm. really had to be on call and right. um get stories and so on so 
but you know i think with the with the doctors without borders i think the, and that's like the organization i stayed the longest with and will will mm-hmm. remain like one of my most cherished sort of places that i yeah. worked in mm-hmm. um it was my it was always my dream to work with them but then i didn't become a doctor right so yeah. when this position opened up um as a press officer i was like okay there is some other way to become you know part of doctors without borders so let right. me apply mm-hmm. and when i got through and i started work with them i was just amazed with the kind of work that was being done across the world and also in india yeah and i think um um as someone who sort of believes in the values of of you know tolerance and you know humanitarianism and mm-hmm. you know it's it's it just felt like a good fit for me sure um but yes the devastation that i saw and i experienced i was i went to nepal two days after the the devastating earthquake yeah mm-hmm. i was part of the communication team i had to set it up and i think what i saw there still remains with me till date um, yeah. i don't think i've seen that scale of devastation ever but again you know what really stands out for me is that there is devastation but then there is always hope right there right. are people who will help each other there are so i think a lot of these interesting takeaways were there and i think um, i was also with msf when the one of the largest ebola outbreaks happened and yeah. um, mm-hmm. you 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 come i sort of came face to face with also how um how, and that was like the closest to a pandemic that had happened but it was you know uh, only for a brief time it Correct. Was but it was still uh, a large scale time. thing right it was still a large scale it was large scale for western africa but yeah. you know and and even globally there was a lot of hysteria around it uh, and everything and mm-hmm. um you know we uh, we had indian doctors and logisticians and others traveling to these places yeah. working really hard coming back and you know i was sort of ha- the interlocutor between them and the media mm-hmm. and uh, it was it also meant that I, i also had to tackle a lot of hysteria around ebola and how media reports about a communicable you know about an infectious disease absolutely um and mm-hmm. you know it's it's if i reflect on that i sort of saw all of that play out during the first wave of covid you know the stigma the yeah. stigmatization the 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 hyper you know the hypersensitivity and the way you report the sensationalist reporting yes. i think um, as the years have gone by we all notice that it's tapered down mm-hmm. even media has learned to sensitively reported and doesn't really uh, go into that panic mongering mode correct you know i think there were quite a lot of learnings that i had there mm-hmm. um so i think for me the difference is you know obviously in the hindu i was a journalist in 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 msf i was on the other side of the fence right i was working with journalists correct and i was basically donning the role of an advocacy person the role uh, of a media manager mm-hmm. um and it was much more i would say much more hands on and much more um, it was much more revealing almost to some extent because right. you know you also know how organizations uh, want to project a certain thing right correct and, you know, and not and really think, you know put people like you know in in that spot yeah. where you know you want to like sensationalize something like you said right i mean correct. usually that's what yeah. happens when you see and even like the news channels that you see sometimes right even now when there's this war going on and the kind of reporting that happens you just wonder like what is it that they want to convey at yeah. times right yeah mm-hmm. correct yeah i and in fact like i actually went uh, you know switched uh, jobs at a time when i was feeling very disillusioned with media sure. yeah and mm-hmm. in fact what was very interesting was in that four and a half nearly five years with msf where i had a pretty critical role of working with yeah. media from around the country and also from different parts of the world 
it actually filled me with hope that there are so many amazing journalists out there who mm-hmm. want to do such good work you know and they they just get overshadowed by the rotten apples yes. uh, you know the, yes. by by these rotten apples and 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 the rottenness that they bring with it they, that just overshadows all the good work and you know this is what i would tell even within the uh, organization there would be a lot of like cynicism towards media and i would tell uh-huh. them but guys not everybody is bad you know you have people who really want to understand the work we are doing they really want to understand how they can support us as an organization yeah. um and it's not just like pr right like i Correct. Did, it was not like pr it's actually like letting them see the work that's happening and then they sort of uh, ha- ask you the hard questions and mm-hmm. so i think it was for me like very um, it was very almost eye opening to some extent and like i may have made some wonderful friends just through that even among the journalism sure. networks yeah. and mm-hmm. and it's it was a very wonderful and enriching experience for me and i think that sort of pushed me to come back into journalism also okay after the experience that you had at msf yeah, right yeah it, it yeah it almost wanted me to come back to being a story i was being a storyteller there but then i yeah. wanted to become you know a journalist once again you know a full fledged journalist once again so. absolutely so wonderful so that actually takes me to the next question that i wanted to ask you right like usually there is news around us which cannot be ignored right and many times like i personally feel so helpless and wonder you know what is it that could make us all live with some more kindness towards each other right so were there any instances where you felt that perhaps you know a different profession itself would have been better rather than you know just being in this and you know getting to see so many different things right lots of times surya okay. i mean uh, oh my god i think the first two years three years of journalism is very hard because yeah. you come out of the come out of journalism school thinking you'll change the world with your reporting and yes. like you know there'll be instant like uh, grat- you know it almost it's almost like an instant gratification that you expect yeah. your yeah. Uh, that you expect right but Correct. but then you realize how broken the system is and then you start to feel so disillusioned and you're like oh yeah. my god why am i even doing this job for such for such meager salaries and then you see your friends yeah. in like really cool jobs you know earning Absolutely. like thrice as much and you know in living in like you know in really nice places and you're like shit mai kya kar rahi hu like you know yes. you have this of course yeah many times i think the i've lost count of the times i've felt that yeah. but i think um, i think what keeps me coming back is that I like telling stories. I like collecting stories. I think of myself as somebody yeah. who's like a little little story uh, collector <laughs> and who needs to tell that stories, right? Right. So, um and as much as I have tried to uh, move away from it, like you know there have been instances in my career if you actually look at my CV people will be like what is it Priya were you confused like and I'll be like yeah actually I was you know I was confused you know I uh you know or, or we could say go, or, or we could say that you are good at exploring things right like you are very curious yeah i i'm very curious and the thing is that if something where i if, if my learning stops right i yeah. need to get out i will not stay there you right. know you you give me how much ever salary or give me whatever perks i will not stay because i'm like this is so monotonous this is so boring where's my learning right like right. what am i really learning in this on a daily basis Correct. so i need to constantly learn something otherwise i get i get very easily bored mm-hmm. uh, maybe now at at like 36 i am i'm a bit more chill about this but in my 20s i was like this impulsive creature so right. um people will be like oh my god you quit the hindu <laughs> and then oh my god why did you quit the us consulate job how can you quit such a nice job and 
Yeah. I'm like, yeah, they sound nice, but like, you know, I'm bored. I just need to explore something else. Yes. Um, I didn't need to be yeah. fast paced also, right? Like you can't really yeah. do the same thing over and over again. Totally. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I have felt helpless. I have mm-hmm. felt like, what am I doing? But yeah. I think uh, there have been so many pivotal moments during these, you know, across my career that has sort of kept me going, you know? So I, I can tell you like, um, I think in my first year of, of journalism, um, my, uh, the person who used to work at our house, mm-hmm. her daughter, uh, she had two twin daughters, she had twins okay. daughters and, uh, she, she was a single mother and her daughter got diagnosed with cancer. Oh, okay. And, uh, I remember just a few months before I had interviewed somebody at a cancer hospital, uh, mm-hmm. government cancer hospital in Hyderabad. So I quickly picked up the phone and I said, can we, can we, can you do something? Can you help this Mm -hmm. person? And so, you know, they guided me on what to do. And then she needed like something like 4 lakh rupees for treatment. And this is like 2009-10. Which is still Uh, a huge huge amount then, right? Huge amount, Mm -hmm. right? And I was like, oh, what do I do? And then um, I think, yeah, it was like one year into into journalism maybe. And I remember like putting out and Facebook was just new, you know, crowdfunding was very new and and all that. So. Uh I remember like just writing a bit about her and just putting it on Facebook and like sending like messages to a couple of people I was in touch with through like, you know, through my reporting and everything Sure. and saying like, you know, can you sort support this child? And I mean, I was just amazed with the generosity, you know, I think we collected that four lakhs within, a, within 15, 20 wow. days. Okay. Um, and, you know, I opened like a bank account for the mother, put mm-hmm. all the money in that. Okay. Um, then, you know, some other doctor came forward and offered, uh, you know, almost free treatment except for that particular medicine sure. and like for the food and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very like, oh, like it, it, it does matter. Like how you use, like how you tell that story Absolutely. actually matters, right? And and then that's when I felt like it's oh like there is a lot of there is a lot of kindness there is a lot of love in this world and uh, you know that sort of kept me going and there have been many instances like that I think through mm-hmm. my career right which sort of kept me going where you know I would write something and it would have some sort of a small impact right uh, it you know it would not be like an award-winning impact but it still would have an impact in its own way right mm-hmm. so yeah and, uh, and you always chase yeah. for the good right like you always saw that okay there is still a lot of good that you could still do with it yeah. right be it like the bad yeah. things will always you know exist no matter where you go which profession that you pick maybe but yeah you always want to try and see the good side of things over there yeah yes mm-hmm. yeah sure so the next thing uh Priya is that you know there are times when you know people feel that they're being used to get some kind of a coverage or big news kind of stories, right? I mean, uh, I'm talking about just mm. the common people, right? So, what yeah. is it that you know the journalists do so that you know they draw a line in such cases, right? Where you still have to report those stories because they are important, yeah. but then you also don't want to make those people feel that you know they're just being used for um, you know whatever it is, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's actually something that, um, you know, you sort of learn on the job. Surya. Okay. And I think uh, I learned this on the job. Sure. I also learned on the job to say no when I was not comfortable doing something. Okay. And it's not easy when you are a beginner, uh, you know, what we refer to as a cub journalist. Yeah. When you're just a cub in a newsroom, it's not easy to go back and tell your editor. Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm I'm not I'm not comfortable doing this, but sure. mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean it's it is it is a I think as a it's not even as a journalist. I think as a person, mm-hmm. 
i feel you need to know where to draw the line right. on how far you would go to get a story right um and i think uh, that sort of a sensitivity um i i hope like it it's it come i i i think it's coming more and more now thanks to the new uh, you know media digital media outlets sure. but i think when when we when i started off it was a big tv boom the, mm-hmm. you know 24 by 7 news channels Correct. breaking news the madness right yeah the and multiple I channels remember, that came around the same correct. time right mm-hmm. yeah 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 and uh, and i was still working for like the hindu which is a fairly like slow paper you know there's yeah. like a standing joke within the hindu where they, they where they say that yeah. you know uh, even if something bad happens and there are like uh, dead bodies uh, a hindu reporter will have to go count and physically verify before they publish correct. like this is the standing joke. yeah 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 um, whereas the others will just say 300 died whereas you know hindu next day will say 150 died you Correct. know and you'll be like hey how many people really died you yeah know, exactly it's like, like data driven right like you actually want to present yeah. the facts more than just a guesstimate of kind Correct. of thing. yeah mm-hmm. so but i remember my friends who went out and uh, joined 24 by 7 news channels just okay. getting burnt out because mm-hmm. they had to do these breaking news stories yeah. um you know they had to chase uh, and and uh, you know after a point um, you know it also becomes like uh, poverty porn or trauma porn right yeah, so yeah. you really you really need to know how to draw a line in that case and mm-hmm. uh, i think for me like a good example would be um, uh, there were these uh, 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 rather a bad examples a okay. uh, bad example would be the uh, the 2611 bomb blast oh, in mumbai that yeah. happened and the the bizarre coverage around it, it and was... which almost it which it yeah and it compromised national security Absolutely. right like and it was like and, a tv uh, like it was like a movie thing that they were showcasing yeah, right i mean yeah. i still remember that it was on for like two to three days continuously if i remember correctly where literally all oh more than that channels were like showcasing yeah. every single minute like whatever was going on i think minute. they had just placed the camera there and you know just let it roll right yeah and they were supposed to actually uh, play footage of delay and i think after the after mm-hmm. after in the aftermath when investigations happened yeah. it revealed that these guys were actually the terrorists were actually watching news yes. and sort of tracking it and, yes yes and you know so i think yeah i think it's a bit of using your common sense mm-hmm. and knowing when to draw a line yeah um and i can give you like maybe an example from my okay my sure. journalism career mm-hmm. um so there were these um i'm i'm sorry i'm giving like really tr- triggering sort of examples but like uh there was a bomb blast that happened uh, in in uh, hyderabad a couple of years ago mm-hmm. in dilshuknagar mm-hmm. and um, you know like everybody obviously was running for the breaking news i was then with a yeah. uh, with an up and coming newspaper as their special correspondent and features editor and they said uh, yeah. and i was one of the senior most reporters there i said you know take a, another reporter and go get us some stories mm-hmm. and you know went and you know we did like an initial okay this is what's happening these are the kind of people near the hospital yeah um and the next day i went to the hospital mm-hmm. and um, you know i saw that the hospital was crowded with television channel cameras oh my and God. everybody thrusting mm-hmm. their mics in front mm-hmm. of people and asking yeah. you know obviously parents or families of vict- of victims and injured like how are you feeling how would they feel right, right? like and that is such an illogical feel? question to ask at that point in time i mean right first of all being yeah. there and on top of it this right totally mm-hmm. so then you know and then you're like okay there is so much pressure on on journalists to just get story that they sometimes yeah. forget you know that that yeah. they that, com- that they forget common sense i would say mm-hmm. um and also i think there is also 
the the news realities are very different the newsroom realities are very different like mm-hmm. the editor wants a certain kind of shot or they want a certain kind of a conversation okay. coming out right mm-hmm. so now to there are proper agendas that are being set at least back then they were like nay you have to get a yeah. bite like this you have to get a story like this you know so there is a lot of pressure on a yeah. on a journalist mm-hmm. um but like for me what i did was i basically hung around the hospital for 5 hours i think okay and um, and i remember uh, this very old man came out and sobbing and uh, mm-hmm. he was sitting and you know um, he was asking for water sure. and uh, you know one of us went and offered him water okay. and we just sat down with him and started talking to him mm-hmm. and uh, generally asking i told him i'm a journalist and then he said oh you have to tell the story and okay. he told the story of how his son was uh, unfortunately there in two different bomb blasts that had oh happened in, in hyderabad mm. and bo- and the first time he lost i think he lost uh, one uh, uh, one limb oh. and the second time also he lost another limb mm-hmm. um and these were like locations apart years apart you know he had recouped he had started his life again yeah um you know as a as a as a chota like you know a street vendor Correct. and he unfortunately got caught up in it and then the police became super suspicious like mm-hmm. oh this is a crazy coincidence how was this guy there in both the places right yeah and uh, the father was so upset because they were not letting the son rest and their police had come in as soon as he become conscious and oh, okay. they were interrogating him mm-hmm. when it was nothing but pure bad luck at the end of it they investigated it was nothing but sure bad luck in that guy's case that he was there in the two places. places yeah mm-hmm. yeah and uh, and i remember writing the story and uh, you know and and it just li- I just let the man speak let the father speak let him vent yeah um didn't really ask him a lot of questions because he told me what he had to then I followed up with the police and I wrote up the story right and um, and and you know I I didn't push for it you know sometimes just being there yeah and listening to people and once once they know that you're listening to them they will tell you the story of course right mm-hmm. so once they you just be there and you're like okay you know you don't thrust mics on people's faces and yeah you know you are on your own and you and but you're honest you tell them hey i am a journalist i'm here for a story right. do you have anything to tell us and more often than not people will have something to tell you correct correct but but yeah i mean that's what i tell right it's, it's so difficult because you know you've got to listen to all these stories but also be sensitive and um also take care yeah. of your own mental health because Absolutely. there's so much yeah. that you take in right and somewhere down the line i i just feel that these things might affect right like the things that you oh, see oh it does affect yeah it does affect yeah you get burnt out as a journalist very quickly yeah yeah the other thing priya that like you know is commonly spoken about or you know which we hear is that you know journalists do let their own biases prejudices come you know in their way of reporting right like like what stories are being reported and the way it's being represented right so how do you try to be objective and not let some of these things influence you know in what you're reporting right like personally we could be having like our own opinions about what we support Absolutely. what we don't support but then when we think of journalism it's it's got to be like this holistic view right so what yeah. is it that you do um i start off with acknowledging that i also have my echo chambers yeah. i also have my biases i also have my privileges actually i also have my privileges and my uh prejudices i think i i think for me the biggest learning mm-hmm. in all these years has been that okay. acknowledging that all these things are there within me 
and until and unless you actually acknowledge that you can't really be objective sure so what because then you're you're constantly defensive if you're not acknowledging that mm-hmm. your caste privilege your class privilege yeah. your uh, you know your your place literally your place of origin your religion now oh, yeah. Yeah. everything can uh, is can become a matter of privilege or a not privilege and unless you realize that and unless you accept that and unless you sort of work with that reality right yeah you will not be able to do objective sort of reporting correct um, that's my take on that and i think it's it's i'm not saying i've been perfect i'm nowhere close to it but i think i'm constantly um constantly we're checking in as as a team i'm also constantly checking in with friends uh, is do you think this is being objective i've mm-hmm. actually been told that suno that we that um, suno india is too neutral like we we need to take a position on something okay <laughs> you know and uh, uh, or that uh, you know yeah you do you do give a lot of good coverage holistic coverage but where is the opinion so mm-hmm. they do, there is also that you know con- that people also want to know what my opinion on certain things are you know right. i'm i am maybe i probably did, probably went overboard with that but mm-hmm. i think I think the way you tell the stories and the way it is represented really matters from where you come from and who you are talking to mm-hmm. who you're passing the mic on to right? right and I think that's very important for me like who is telling that story and um you know what are the kind of people I'm trying to work with yeah. how inclusive am I being as an organization as an editor sure. um how open am I to being challenged um uh, that a certain uh, series may not go through because of xyz reasons right yeah. like you, you could know, actually it, like i it. have to correct you could like yeah, it yeah i but... might i might be like oh wow this is <laughs> such a great idea and then right. no this happened to us you know i thought like oh this is a great series and then uh-huh. you know um you actually bring in somebody who knows more about it and sure. then they sort of start pointing out but hey what about this what about that what about and then you're like uh-huh. you start checking in then oh this is this is what i didn't see oh this is the thing oh so it's also that right? right so you constantly you have to be open to being challenged and you have to be open to being challenged also by younger people who are mm-hmm. coming in now with much more josh right and right. they want to actually um you know they, they obviously they all want to make a difference and they want to challenge you and they want to um you know so you also have to be open to that sort of feedback like new perspectives and also right correct yeah mm-hmm. just be open to new perspectives like i i as a journalist there is no way i will know everything about everything yeah. no way yeah. no chance on earth right i cannot be a specialist in everything like, right that's what like we are jack of all trades right so correct. there might be somebody who knows more about um, you know say the intersection between caste and malnutrition sure. mm-hmm. and the way we end up reporting might not really reflect what they said and if they send us feedback criticizing us yeah. we should be able to take that criticism on board absolutely you know we should be like okay we we get where you're coming from mm-hmm. uh, we will try to do better next time so okay. i think just having that sort of open mindedness yeah and just being aware of your own echo chambers and stepping out of it mm-hmm. and trying to understand why we are say in a place that we are today yeah actually makes a lot of sense you know um, and will help a lot in the reporting that you do absolutely and there is some spectacular work that's being done at suno india right like again i want to tell all the listeners that this is india's first only you know first podcast only on media startup right so what was the story behind conception of uh, suno india priya oh so suno india was the brainchild of uh, tarun nirvan rakesh kamal and myself okay. uh, all the three co-founders mm-hmm. tarun and i were colleagues and friends from msf um, he is the digital lead and um, he yeah he is someone who's 
push us uh, and things a lot outside of the sure. box. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rakesh, as you know, is my husband. Yeah. Um, he's an environment specialist, right. uh, climate change nerd, total nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's me. So I think it came from, we were literally watching something on, uh, you know, one day in De- we were at, at home in Delhi and watching something on news and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know the 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 most uh, notorious anchor was on television and <laughs> yeah. you know screaming at the top of his voice and uh-huh. i was and we were just so frustrated and yeah. all three of us were then obviously working in different developmental uh, you know ngos and you know for us the ground reality just seemed so different from what was being shown in media okay. like and we were like why are they not talking about this why are they not talking about that like yeah. you know it just was a very frustrating place and um, at that point like rakesh was a uh, you know, I was not the avid podcast listener then. Sure. In all mm-hmm. honesty, it was Rakesh who was the avid podcast listener. Then got us hooked to it, and okay. uh, and we were like, oh, you know. Then we thought of this, we thought of this concept, and we were like, uh, yeah. the first thing Tarun, I remember the first thing that Tarun did was uh, once he came up with the name, and I think was to block the domain name. Yeah, and maybe an year later or a few months down the line, close to a year, I think that's oh, when okay. the website went. You know, we went live, but like the conception of it it's almost like yeah you know you it was conceptualized and yeah uh, conceived uh, a few months before and it was birthed in september of uh 2020 oh sorry 2018 2018 yeah. okay so it was like this idea was there but then you know you three of you then took some time to we, just mm-hmm. yeah all three of us had full-time jobs we had yeah you know, uh time to sort of work on it and then right. you know i think somewhere around um somewhere around jan or something of uh, i don't even remember now yeah somewhere i i decided to quit my full time job sure. because mm-hmm. you know i i had got totally burnt out and yeah. i was exhausted i needed a break um, yeah. from uh, from work and and that's when i i sort of took some time off and that's when we sat down and started working out the concept and yeah and that's and then we started the first one was dear pari uh, right. which was an adoption um and that's how we sort of started it off you know it started off as something very close to our i mean the topic was very close to our heart and we sort of thought let's bring these conversations on adoption which people are so scared to talk about yes um onto the mainstream and see what happens you know what's the kind of response we'll get yeah correct so suno india has actually been raising awareness like you said right about many important topics like you know you have shows um such as pride and prejudice which deals with lgbtqia plus it could be climate emergency uh you know pindra todkar which deals with powerful stories about women and women empowerment and you you have like so many more shows on suno india right and yeah. and a lot of it like you know everything is dealt with so much of sensitivity right so i want to know like how challenging has this been priya for you rakesh and you know tarun like what has this been like uh i think the initial months uh when we were establishing the proof of concept we uh it meant that you know we were at one point during the i think the 2019 elections yeah we were working on three different podcasts in three different languages on elections mm-hmm. so um and it may, and we were putting out somewhere around 18 or 19 podcasts per month oh okay. and then we were just a team of three working with uh, contributors and others and right. uh, and i was the only person sort of overseeing it and ensuring that the mm-hmm. fact checks were happening and everything so i think the initial months were tougher um, but now we have a great team like we have a fantastic reporter mm-hmm. uh, who hosts pride and prejudice um, 
we have menaka rao who is an award winning journalist and uh, you know mm-hmm. a very well experienced uh, health journalist sure. um and she is our consulting editor so i think um, you know like i said i learn a lot from my my colleagues um, i learn a lot from my team members so right. uh, mm-hmm. that's been really helpful um and uh, in terms of you know yeah we do we do chase topics which need to be dealt with sensitivity like yeah. you know we have a podcast on tuberculosis we have a podcast on rare diseases uh, we did a lot of covid reporting um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and i think um, yeah i think it it helped to have a good team and to work with people who know the topics um, who are sort of experts in the in their own domains mm-hmm. um, and who are also driven by similar values surya i think Absolutely. that's been very yeah that's been very very helpful for us i think all the people that we work with and have worked with in the past right. have all been people who have wanted to make a change in their own small way or big way Absolutely. and you know and you know and they and they joined our whatever our quest to put mm-hmm. out audio stories right mm-hmm. so um and i think uh, that's the beauty of it like uh, you know of uh, collaborative yeah, yeah. work also and i think that's yeah. why it has come out so beautifully right because i think everybody on the team is so aligned in you know what the goals are uh, what is the kind of impact that you need to put out there right and and i think yeah. it just shows in the kind of work that you put out there as well right like if you're in it completely then i think the work itself you know yeah. speaks for itself right yeah and we have some fantastic hosts like Yeah. Yunus who hosts our Beyond Charnar podcast I think yeah, he's yeah. so good at it mm-hmm. um he knows his stuff everything and I have learned so much about my own city <laughs> having lived and yeah grown here grown for so there. many years every yes. yeah every time a new episode comes i'm like really yunus <laughs> this also happened it's like you know every yeah. time there's a new episode i'm like oh my god what it so, always you know, feels like a history the, history class like an interesting history class thoughts right yeah <laughs> interesting history class yeah. yeah yeah um you know so i think it's that's the thing like you know we've we've managed to work with some fantastic people and that's that's been uh, it hasn't been as challenging as it would have been i think yeah yeah um i wouldn't say it it hasn't been i mean there have been instances where in the beginning where uh, we have recorded uh, mm-hmm. episodes uh, from sitting in a vacation in sri lanka okay. uh, you know trying to trying to you know uh, how do you how do you how do you silence the sound of waves right <laughs> yes. so me and rakesh me and rakesh recording under a blanket you know with a little pari beside us so yeah i mean we have done some crazy things or you know uh, you also had hosts like sort of recording inside cupboards you know if okay. required Um, sure during the covid lockdown we have actually put together a podcast entirely made of whatsapp voice notes so oh, okay. you know i mean yeah i mean it's it's crazy but you know uh, yeah when when things are crazy you get crazier i guess so, i think yeah. so <laughs> the other thing i actually like about suno india is that you know it's multilingual right um So yeah. this is something that I wanted to understand from you that why was it so important to ensure that it's not restricted to just one language right i mean that that's something yeah. that really amazed me that wow this is not just restricted to say english or hindi or whatever other language right but it's it it has many yeah. languages though yeah um i'll tell you why surya i think mm-hmm. early on i realized in uh, you know as a journalist that yeah. uh, 
the the language journalists um, you know they the regional language journalists they do some kick ass work in journalism sure um and they don't get their due credit they okay. don't yeah. get the due credit that they should receive because mm-hmm. what happens is that they will report something in telugu or kannada or tamil yes or say bengali and it becomes a big story in that language newspaper but mm-hmm. then an english reporter might pick up on the idea and write it bigger okay um, or some journalists might do parachute you know what mm-hmm. i call as parachute journalism where someone from uh, delhi or another city just goes to another you know they don't know the area but okay. they will read a story a copy somewhere and then they will write it and then they oh. become bigger okay? okay so what i have realized mm-hmm. is that the language journalists in india have so much capability yeah um and they also and it's not just journalists i think just in our indian languages yeah. the the number of stories that are there waiting to be captured and waiting to be told is immense yeah. and people feel comfortable talking in their own language Absolutely. not everybody knows knows english right. so i mean we had a fa- during the lockdown we had a incident where uh, you know for our telugu uh, news show you know i reached out uh, to some farmers mm-hmm. to understand how they were going to harvest uh, yeah. during the lockdown okay and uh, this is and i was getting whatsapp notes from them because oh. they obviously could not get on zoom or anything correct, correct. but they knew how to use whatsapp voice notes okay yeah which is so incredible right send... sometimes i i yeah. think this tech also has just contributed so immensely for such of an course, example of course right? mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I had this I told the farmers it's okay, you know, you don't have internet or all that. That's fine as mm. long as you have WhatsApp just mm. send me your thoughts like how are you going to manage? And yeah. then these yeah. they sent in their voice, they sent in their thoughts uh, and you know, I put together a podcast on it. Uh-huh. And uh, after it was aired, you know, one of the farmers called me and asked mm-hmm. me uh madam uh, mm. how many in telugu yeah say madam how many people will listen to this ha, podcast ha. and at, at that time i think we were roughly getting great and we were getting great listens for that podcast you know okay. on a monthly basis so i told him something like uh, 3000 to 5000 people wow. mostly and then he said uh, oh that's a lot i uh, he said and then he, and then he goes uh, even if 10 people listen ha. to what i have to say i'll be happy madam oh because i'm heard yeah yeah and for me that's that sort of just you know tells me why we do what we do you know yeah. we want to be that platform where we are giving people you know basically providing a platform so that people feel heard right you know why should somebody um living in kashmir not be heard why should somebody living in northeast not be heard you know yeah. and we have a long way to go as a, as as uh, as a company right mm-hmm. uh, we want to go into more languages but of course budgets are an issue and you know so this is the whole so scale but, yeah, logistics I mean, problem and everything yeah, the yeah. logistics yeah, yeah but i think we decided okay we we had these three language capabilities um, hindi english telugu so let's start yeah. off with that i understand tamil so we in, we also did like a tamil uh, show in on elections okay so yeah i think um, yeah and i think for me it, it was really important to see you know mm-hmm. how and and the way i look at it is surya there is so much scope yeah not just like in podcasting but just in that space right? in the space itself right absolutely yeah. just and i and Indian i think language, so much to do right absolutely and like you said right not everybody understands english and i i don't think that needs to be some kind of a barrier right like for Correct. people to exactly. be heard absolutely so this another thing like you can you can you can totally do this show that you're doing in kannada right yes. or you know um, Absolutely. you can bring in kannada speakers and highlight you know people who are doing some exceptional work and that's yeah. the other thing lot of these people get missed because 
they are actually doing exceptional work but they don't know english Correct. so then they are not covered by the english media or they don't get the kind of recognition that they should absolutely so uh, Yeah. Totally agree with you on that one. So this happened, right? Like, so Shobhu Yarlagadadi, co-founder and CEO of Arka Media Works, you know, came on board as an angel investor to fund Suno India. So, what was that journey like, uh, Priya? Because uh, I don't think many of them know about it. So this was something that I thought, you know, we should definitely discuss how sure. this happened. Yeah. Um. So, how did this happen? Um. We were introduced uh, to him through a common acquaintance. Sure. Um, and uh, we just went for a preliminary meeting. Me and Rakesh, and we got talking, and he wanted to know more about Suno India. Yeah. 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 And we sort of gave him the lowdown: what we are, why we are doing what we're doing, and everything. And he was, um, he was pretty cool. He he heard us out. He yeah. gave us some ideas on what we can do better, how mm-hmm. we can. make it better and then uh, you know a few months later you know uh-huh. he i mean we asked like you know uh, would you be like I, i mean we sort of we didn't even know how to initiate that conversation because okay. it was our first time that we were uh, going for an angel investor by Correct. then we had been funded by um, the independent public spirited media foundation that's in bangalore mm-hmm. so uh, ipsmf so we were like oh like how do you have this conversation and it was like this awkward sort of a conversation <laughs> yeah. that we had but yeah. you know he was pretty chill about it and he was pretty uh, professional nice about it and he said okay come back to me with like a come back to me with a plan like a proper budget plan and everything and like your basically uh-huh. your business growth plan sure, right sure. and all three of us we uh, we don't have any business background uh-huh. um and we were like okay and we have great advisors the yeah. other thing that i really want to talk about is we have two great advisors so as abhay adhikari and julia ransanti um, mm-hmm. so they both are our advisors and these two people have been like our champions okay. from the beginning of suno india so sure. um so suno india almost uh, i would say it became it was a vague idea in our head but mm-hmm. it became concrete after i attended a digital storytelling workshop in delhi okay. um, which mm-hmm. was conducted by digital identities and google news uh, initiative okay. and abhay was the lead for that and uh-huh. uh, he also brought this radio lab podcaster there and you know she spoke and for me it was like you know one whole day of learning experiences yeah and uh, after that like you know when i told abhay about this idea he we we sort of had a lot of brainstorming and mentorship sessions where he sort of helped us develop the concept for deopari and like how do you oh, make okay. it mm-hmm. into into like develop the consciousness how do you make it more wholesome right how Correct. do you make it more holistic and yeah. how do you take it from one episode to another episode with those connections so i think uh, yeah and julia helps us out a lot in terms of the mm-hmm. financial aspects of it and okay. like just the the understanding of it so these two like you know they were like okay business growth plan let's get down to it and we <laughs> got down we did a business growth plan okay we submitted to mr shobhu and uh, uh-huh. yeah he said fine you know i like it uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and that's how we came on board as an angel investor it's just so and amazing I'm, i'm very grateful he's there and uh, yeah yeah i mean he's uh, he's somebody who is also like a cheerleader for us and yeah. you know he does also tell us like okay guys like this is the time now you reach the hill uh-huh. now time to climb the climb hill right it. like yes. you're at the yeah you're at the foothills now guys you have to like climb the hill like right. get, get this is the this is the harder part so you know get so he is very clear about that and yeah yeah it's it's been good i mean it's um, very interesting to work with people from different sort of um, almost disciplines right Absolutely. but they're all coming together 
and they're all trying to make suno india a success and i think for that i'm really really thankful you know so yeah <laughs> yeah and and you know one of the things which um you know at least if you ask me like all shows are amazing but some shows you feel you can sort of you know like a lot more than the others right so one such yes. uh, for me is uh, dear parip right a podcast yeah. on suno india which deals with child adoption related discussions um and it's so comprehensive and so well laid out so which i believe stemmed from your personal experience right so can you share a little yeah. bit about dear parip podcast Sure I mean Deepari was launched in 2018 there are two seasons of it um yeah. we wanted to bring out a third season but then covid happened so yeah. we had to put a halt on that mm-hmm. um it's a podcast on child adoption in india and will basically take the listener through our journey of yeah. um becoming parents who adopted and uh, also tackling um, how we tackled uh, family members who had questions why we wanted to adopt yeah. because this was an adoption by choice and you know in india it's very it's very normal to ask when are you going to have kids you right. know they don't people don't think of it as a yeah. intrusive question or a personal question at all <laughs> you know people just think it's normal conversation point and yeah. you know so we 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 faced a lot of that also we're like oh um so like you know why did you adopt and yeah. you know almost and then it gets it can get a bit more intrusive after that yeah. you know like oh yeah. oh you know so yeah, and and i'm like um and i realized when i joined like these facebook groups with a lot of other families who had adopted that uh-huh. uh, and you know pro- parents who were waiting or prospective parents mm-hmm. i realized that a lot of them had similar fears a lot of them had similar experiences a lot of them had similar questions like i think one of the most common question mm-hmm. we are asked over and over again even now 6 yeah. years after our child being in our lives is mm-hmm. that will you tell her will you tell her will you mm-hmm. tell her and yeah. you know she knows mm-hmm. and i'm like she knows like yeah. we are not going to hide it you know and you know it sort of made us very curious and um, mm-hmm. you know it's like you don't get, i we didn't i actually came from it from a, me and rakesh we were like mm-hmm. why are people so hesitant to ask you these questions yeah. and then when they do ask you they lower the voice and it's yeah like it's so almost like sort of thing. correct <laughs> that they don't want other like people to hear and you know it's something yeah. that and yeah, i'm yeah. like we didn't we didn't commit a crime guys like yeah. i didn't go kill somebody like you don't have to whisper you don't have to ask me like how did i poison somebody like right. you know, <laughs> it's it's just so bizarre you know how these questions are asked yeah. and we were like yeah let's do something about it and that's how diopari came and uh, you know we sort of looked at it uh, we we thought okay let's do the whole circle right yeah. so we thought we will speak about of course our own journey but yeah. also speak to others mm-hmm. uh, in the community and also look at the good bad and ugly of adoption which correct which not a lot of people uh, do and i think a lot of people think that adoption is something that is done for a noble cause right mm-hmm. and i just hated when people say yeah. that like yeah. um oh wow and i'm like <laughs> no there's nothing wow about it that's just the way we chose to start our family right um i'm not doing i'm not doing anybody a favor i'm not doing her a favor and you know as the other way around i feel like you know she has completed us as a family so right. i think there is a lot of misconceptions around it and we wanted to sort of tackle it head on and that's how diopoli happened okay. season 1 sort of deals with um what we call as the adoption triad where yeah. you talk about you know the adopt the parents who adopted the birth mm-hmm. parents and the and the child in question right and all of their all of their views are covered in that season it was quite heavy honestly while recording while doing it mm-hmm. um, there were moments where uh, i had to stop recording and cry yeah. there were moments when uh, you know we found paris cribmate through oh. you know and 
yeah that was just another incredible like we literally okay. found faiz cribmate and uh, so we had put out a call i think for second season wanting to uh, interview an sure. nra couple and mm-hmm. anyway i mean i do i can't go too much into detail yeah, yeah sure uh, yeah don't really yeah mm-hmm. so essentially you know it it was it was a it was tough recording these interviews mm-hmm. like we also ha- we also interviewed someone who was a anti child trafficking uh, activist oh, and okay. mm-hmm. he he's an adoptee himself and his story mm-hmm. is really is really poignant about uh, you know how these adoptions even happen how children come into the system yeah. and you know it's like a big rabbit hole the deeper you dig you know you, you actually uh, uncover so many find. things right you you can't even yeah. imagine like what it is like yeah. right mm-hmm. and it's not always gold that you'll find when yeah. you dig more there's yeah. also a lot of dirt that you'll find you know and that's what really happened for us with the season 1 yeah. um but i think it was a very um, i would say it was a very amazing experience just doing that and mm-hmm. talking to like adoption experts talking to parents talking to adoptees yeah. you know um and i think uh, and we also spoke to a birth mother you know and uh-huh. to hear her perspective the general assumption is that you give up because you don't have yeah. money because you don't you have not that able to Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but actually if you listen to this birth mother story it is because of a result of patriarchy. Okay. She kept having daughters and uh, yeah. the husband wanted a son. Mm. So she was forced to give away two of her daughters. Oh my god. You know? Mm. Um yeah. and she was a uh, you know if you listen to that story she is a working mother educated yeah. And, yeah, and uh, and that was she... also a misconception, right? That this happens maybe yeah. only in like rural areas or maybe rural like areas, some far so off. It's not. It's not the case, though. It's not, and you don't realize how many single, uh, mm-hmm. how many women are, you know, um, you know, they become pregnant, and yeah. they 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 might it might be too late for them to opt for a do- for a abortion, yeah, or. you know abortion is a taboo so they go ahead have mm-hmm. the kid and then yeah. some of them will not want to give up and they'll go on to become single mothers and then you know unwed single mothers in india and so you know it's a lot of conversation about the society as a whole right, right. so yeah so i think that's uh, that's dear pari season 1 and season 2 sort of looks at different aspects again of the mm-hmm. um you know like about how do you, adopting a child who is disabled siblings um you know older children what are the challenges that come and so on so yeah that's been wonderful and i'm glad because it's there because it continues to be like a literally like a resource guide now Absolutely. for a lot of people it has so, so much people. of resources right i mean you do have yeah. things on internet but again if there's a place where it's like a comprehensive thing right you're talking about the most right. important things then i think that was missing uh, to be honest right yeah yeah Yeah. And the next we've in fact had we've in fact had people who have written to us or you know have reached yeah. out and told us you know uh-huh. saying that we heard your podcast and we decided not to go ahead with adoption because okay. we don't think we are right for this. Right. We don't think our our, our extended family can actually deal with this, people. right? And which is and also great. I mean that is also an impact yeah. I, the way I see it, right? Like good you yeah. made the decision, right? Uh Yeah, it's exactly that. And when i told this to people are like oh but you would oh but that's not good right you discourage someone from adopting i'm like no i not actually encourage them to take the right decision <laughs> exactly so yeah yeah you have to completely know what you're getting into you know before actually jumping yeah. into it right totally and and placing the child first you know absolutely. it's not your interest at all like yeah. you have to put the child's interest first absolutely so priyan the next thing i wanted to discuss with you is about your covid journey itself right you are a two time yeah. covid survivor uh, you're still battling with what is known as long covid 
and you have been relentlessly raising awareness about this uh, when there is so little known about it, right? Like, I don't think, uh, you know, people still understand what long COVID yeah. means. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about that, like how this started and what effects um, this has had on you and how do you cope with it on a day-to-day basis, right? Yeah, I think a bit, you know, Surya, I, I yeah, went on yes. Instagram and yes. I went on Twitter. <laughs> yes. yes, That's how I cope. <laughs> yes. No, and that's uh, been you know, like an eye-opener, right? I mean, at least I, I mean, personally speaking, I really didn't know about this long COVID until unless yeah. I started reading about it from your posts and through the talks yeah. that you've given and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean... Um, where do I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to go too deep into it. Sure. Uh, yeah. It's too long a story. But essentially, I got COVID in April 2020 and April 2021, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it both the waves. And in the first wave, I didn't get timely care mm-hmm. um, because of the national lockdown and everything. And yeah. uh, I started experiencing, continued rather, having these uh, strange sort of symptoms like heart yeah. rate going up, suddenly mm-hmm. feeling dizzy and everything. Yeah. And uh, I thought I'd recovered by end of May and uh, June, I went back to work. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but by July, the fatigue was too much for me. I couldn't, I, I couldn't focus. I had severe brain fog. My yeah. concentration levels dipped. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would, I would it'd take me a while to, I would listen to the audio over and over again to just understand, yeah. you know, and I, and, what's being you know, said, right? Yeah, and, and that's when I actually stopped doing interviews because I could not keep yeah. track of what was being told to me. Okay. Um, and then I had like a, I, I fainted in July of 2020 and I, mm-hmm. I basically went for a grocery shopping and, mm. you know, I just blacked out. I had severe heart rate going mm. up. I could feel okay. it like my heart, I felt my heart pounding and I started sure. sweating and I mm. blacked out. And oh, they said, oh, it's low BP and you're tired. Mm. You just need to rest it out. And mm. uh, I thought, okay, maybe rest will help me. And I tried resting out, but then the heart rate issue just didn't go away. And uh, Mm -hmm. anyway, to cut a short story, uh, long story short, um, what basically happened is that uh, in September, uh, I finally found a doctor who was willing to even believe that something was happening to me. So Mm -hmm. from July to September, I was constantly gaslit by doctors uh, saying that it's all in your head. You yeah. are having anxiety and I was put in, I was put on anti-anxiety meds. Okay. Um, and in September, this doctor ran some tests and then he found like ridiculously high amounts of adrenaline in my blood, um, okay. in my body. And he was like, oh shit, this is bad. Hmm. Um, and he told me that my body was stuck in a fright and flight mode. So basically my oh. immune system kept thinking that the, um, mm-hmm. that COVID was still there. It was fighting it constantly. Okay. Um, and then he put me on some meds. I thought I got a little better and but unfortunately mm. by Jan of 2021 I had started getting uh, you know I've just got gotten worse you know yeah, things would yeah. just get worse I would feel better and mm. you know and uh, there were a lot of things happening like my menstrual cycle had changed it was a complete yeah. mess and by March I was uh, pretty much bedridden and that's when they sort of ran some tests and they said that uh, there were some lot there were changes in my brain and then they said oh there's some autoimmune response going on in your body Okay. And they put me on a steroid therapy and uh, mm. that didn't help. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, what had happened was a steroid therapy had uh, decreased my immunity levels. And okay. uh, mm-hmm. and that's how in April I got hit with COVID and it hit me really bad. Mm-hmm. And I landed in the ICU because my yeah. immunity was already low. Yeah. But anyway, somehow um, 
I don't know what immunity I have. It anyway sort of saved me, and I got out of that hellhole of an ICU. Yeah. Um, and I got diagnosed around uh, sometime in March, April, with something mm. uh, with a condition called as dysautonomia. Okay. Where basically uh, the autonomic nervous system, which controls your breathing, your pulse mm. rate, your digestion, and yeah. a bunch of other your blood pressure and everything. Um. So that nervous system has become dysfunctional in me because of COVID, because of okay. the autoimmune response. Um, and I have something called as POTS in that, which is mm-hmm. postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Um, okay. And every time I change positions, or if I am in a position for a really long time, okay. I will either get dizzy or I'll get terrible migraines. Um, okay. I am much better now compared to where I was months ago, mm-hmm. months months mm-hmm. ago. Um, uh, because I'm now symptomatically managing it. I have a good doctor who's managing it well for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been a long journey, and I realized that nobody knew about long COVID, right. and just from my own experience of being gaslit over and over by different specialists, I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to talk about it. Like I, because I went through severe depression, I had severe anxiety issues, I couldn't yeah. sleep, yeah. and uh, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD after the ICU mm. thing. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, I was like, okay, I I have to start talking about this and. You know, I did. Yeah. I did advocacy as you know, as an advocacy manager for MSF. I know how important it is to do Absolutely. to do advocacy, and I think I use some of that here to just mm-hmm. talk about it, just relentlessly talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then I started this Telegram group, and uh, yeah, the support group, and and Great. we're now like three three sixty odd people in it. Still a small number. Um, there are many out there who still don't know Correct. what's happening. Who don't them. know what's happening to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so in that case, Priya, like for those maybe looking for say support groups and who are still struggling to understand what long COVID yeah. means, right? So, where can one look for such resources? Like, would you like recommend them to look at some specific group or some? Uh, so, what is it? Then? So. Uh, in India, unfortunately, there are very few groups. I mean, then the one is the yeah. I mean, I I don't one is the group that I run and it's on Telegram and people okay. can search for it. It's called India COVID Survivor Group and I can share the link with you and you can put it in your uh, description, perhaps. Yes, yes. If people I want will. to join. The other yeah. way is uh, I have started a Twitter account called Long COVID India, so people okay. can follow that. Mm-hmm. I'll again send you the. Um, uh, Twitter handle, uh, so yes. it's, it's it's at Long COVID India, uh-huh. so or people can search for it as India COVID Survivors. So okay. um, we do keep sharing. I and other people, uh, fellow uh, long haulers, uh-huh. we keep sharing resources there. Latest uh, research that's happening in this. Um, mm-hmm. We're also trying to put together more talks about Long COVID, um, okay. do more Twitter Spaces and stuff like that. So yeah, that's something that's uh, coming up, and also because. Because I, we have a platform and because we are, you know, me and Menaka are also health journalists, we are doing a yeah. podcast on long mm-hmm. COVID. So that mm-hmm. should come out soon. Um, we are in the production stage. I mean, in the, yeah, yeah. sort of the pre-production stage, I would say. So okay. we will also be having a podcast which will look at long COVID in a very comprehensive manner. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, people can come to us and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think just finding the right kind of doctors is the tough part. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, people Correct. can join the group and, you know, we can direct them with the doctors we have or we know. Um, sure. We are still trying to, you know, all of us are 
also have very limited energies energy levels right so yeah absolutely um, only yesterday i was discussing with somebody about maybe mm. putting together a very simple website where we can yeah. start putting up uh, all the stories and the videos that we are doing and correct yeah which is going to be like hugely helpful i think i mean it's going to be so yeah. resourceful for sure totally yeah what you know what an absolute pleasure this has been priya uh, thank you so much uh, for your time today i had such a wonderful yeah. time listening to everything that you had to say and you know such important information right so thank you so much thank for that so and <laughs> and and you know i'm i'm so sure that you will continue to inspire so many out there with your path breaking work uh, i look forward to so many more of your uh, shows and the kind of work that you will be doing thanks again thank you so much surya for having me and this was really fun <laughs> to go back and reflect almost like 13 years ago on my journey <laughs> yeah i yeah. know but okay. this has been fun for everybody listening yeah. in you can follow suno india i mean they are on twitter they have a website uh, they are also on instagram their handle is suno india uh, i will also be putting the description of all the you know resources that priya just mentioned about so you can learn more about long covid Uh, all of that information will be put out there thank you so much for listening in